clubhouse. This is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Welcome to Conversations with Eliza, the next podcast. Your unofficially official podcast for the new Fox sci-fi techno thriller, Next. After we're done talking, guys, stick around because we have a fantastic interview with the show's creator and executive producer and the guy who wrote tonight's episode, Manny Cotto. We're super excited to get to talk to Manny, but this time, you guys, we are not going to walk you through every single plot point. We are not going to discuss every single thing that happened in this episode because we know you watched. We know you're paying close attention. And so we are going to save some time for that awesome interview at the end and instead just talk about the big ideas. The stuff that stood out to us. That's right. The things that made us think. Things that make you go, hmm. Things that make you go, Eliza. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys, each of us are going to ask a question each week and really make the rest of us think on it. And then you get an amazing interview every single week. Not just this week, you guys. Every week we're going to bring you something new and exciting. So here's my question, boys. Ready? Okay. Did this episode make you more aware or did you already realize how many tech things are in our lives i would say since i'm already talking and that's how saying works that uh (laughs) this episode is timed with kind of a confluence of other influences and information happening around me that is making me very aware of technology and software and that kind of stuff uh and the way that it impacts my life in this episode there were a number of things that were discussed Some of them had some of that sci-fi TV show kind of, you're not supposed to pay attention to the fact that this probably doesn't work kind of stuff. Like, for instance, when uh, Dr. Weiss says that he pulled all the microprocessors out of his car and then it worked great. No, your car would not work great anymore. Your car wouldn't work at all anymore. If you did I that. did like though, and I, I didn't catch the first time I watched this episode, but when I rewatched it, I did notice that the camera pans around and all of the fucking wires are pulled out. He's got like a an external car battery in like the passenger well, uh, which I guess has the electronics that are necessary hooked up to it kind of thing. I did like the fact that you could see he cannibalized his car a little bit. I thought that was a, a nice little detail to throw in. That is a good detail that I that I did miss. But in all, though, to answer your question, you didn't drive Uncle Bill's Tesla, right? No. I did. Have you ever driven a Tesla, Mike? I have not. I have not. You get the um, impression that you're just influencing what the car does, but the car's ultimately going to decide what it's going to do Yeah. <laughs> when you're driving it. Yeah. There's actually a button or a configuration that allows you to drive it in such a way that it responds more like a gasoline-powered car, like a legacy car, let's call it. Otherwise, it, it acts more like it wants to act, which is a little more like a, a golf cart and the way that those kind of work as opposed to cars, you know, like in terms of the way the power kind of distributes, the way that it slows down, speeds up, steers all that kind of stuff. But knowing that there's things like autopilot and the way that it will take the wheel when it feels Mm -hmm. another car in the lane next to you and that kind of stuff. Yeah. When I say like you're, you're only kind of making a suggestion about what the car should do. Like the idea of like rack and pinion steering, actually steering. I don't think so. I think that's a joystick. (laughs) How about this for like crazy Mike? I did not know this car could do this, but you can actually call the car. So like you like do the button and it actually like starts up and drives to you. Like the Batmobile. Yeah. Or 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 Kit, you know. Right. Yeah. Like, it was Michael, crazy. <laughs> Michael, I, I'm coming to you, Michael. Yeah, it's like you valet, know? but there's no one inside. Or is there you guys? 
So the idea, like the like the accident at the beginning of the of this episode, being one of those things that could be sci-fi TV show bullshit, actually doesn't seem so far off. It really doesn't. So I was marking down a bunch of stuff about that, like surveillance cameras, the medical equipment, the ankle monitor that they pointed out, Eliza, the cars, the internet, of course, paying with your credit card. How many times that would work? The glucose monitor, the cell phones, the airplane. The facial recognition, the auto doors, online gambling, online currency, all the Wi-Fi stuff, the routers, the Eliza helping with the homework, the FBI breaching the firewall, the gun safe. Y'all, it was a lot. Shot. I mean, it's one of those things that it, it takes a show like this sometimes to remind you how much technology is really in our lives. And passively, too. Not even, like, actively. I mean, we're all on our phone. We're, most of us are all on our phones like all day doing this, there's an app for that. But even just passively, things you're not even thinking about, like the amount of electronics in your car is a perfect example. I think people of a certain age still think their cars are still kind of like they used to be, you know, where it was just an engine, it's just seats, four wheels, and you just kind of go and very like minimal electronics. Like your AM, FM radio is like a major electronic in the car. All of my first cars had like the removable radio, you know, because because <laughs> breaking in and stealing car radios was a big thing in the city in like the 80s and the early 90s. I, I never drove a car that had like heavy electronics. But now even like my little piece of shit car that I have now is a bunch of electronics when you set stop and think about it. You know, if they fail, the car fails. And it, it's kind of shocking. The bigger question for me is watching a show like this, does it make you think about using electronics less and I think the question for most people is no. Even when you stop and think and realize how dependent we are, and, and if, even if you're a little paranoid, I don't know that most people are going to reduce their usage. I use a lot of electronics. Our house is very automated. I have reminders set on all types of different devices that talk to my children and all of our lights, our, our thermostat, everything is turned on voice activated. And so it's a little like unnerving to me because sometimes right. you can also do it by phone. So I can say that even there's moments when I like really hate that. Like if I'm in a room and all of a sudden all the lights go out and no one's in the house, it turns out that Paul was somewhere else, but he was in that section on the phone and accidentally turned off all the lights in the house. Yeah. It scares the shit out of me. <laughs> and it does make me stop and think like, I just want to flip the switch. I don't want to have this shit happen to me. But I can also say it's really, really nice that, you know, I can turn off all the lights. Again, being a scare baby, I can get all the way into my bed and then turn out the lights and I don't have to right. go across the room in the dark. So does it stop me? It doesn't. It does make me more aware. And I do try to pay attention more. What that means, I don't know. <laughs> you know, Westworld, uh, this uh, season three of Westworld that ended this year, made me really realize how near and present so much of this technology is. And it still feels like it's a sci-fi futuristic thing, but it's really not. There's a scene where uh, Charlotte uses like the thermostat system to kill like the German banker early in the season. I think maybe even like the first episode of season three. And Nest systems, that, that's all Nest systems are, right? They're all like Wi-Fi enabled thermostat systems. If someone hacks your system, they can jack your thermostat up to 150 degrees while you're sleeping. That's terrifying. And that's like a thing that can happen. But Paul, I, 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 Paul, you're, I, you're a pretty tech guy. I think you may be the most tech gadget guy of the three of us. 
does a show like this make you stop at all? Or you're just kind of like, fuck it, you know, full steam ahead. If I, you know, we all have to go sometime. And if this is how it goes, <laughs> how it goes. If it's AI related, maybe that's all for the, for right. a better obituary. Right. That's yeah, it's poetic. It's, <laughs> so. Right. right. <laughs> the irony was not lost on Paul in his final moments. Right. No. You know. <laughs> he died as he lived. Exactly. Playing with his phone on the toilet. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> In the end, Candy did crush him. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know? Live by the sword, die by the sword kind of thing. Huh? Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a that's a good question that, that I'm kind of reviewing currently because most of my career goals and the way that I like to spend my free time all depend on interfacing with technology in some way and not just leaving my my skills and my aptitudes where they are, but advancing them, getting staying current. I have expressed to Caroline several times about, you know, the concept of aging and the way that we've seen our parents age. And it's like their affinity for technology cut off 30 years ago or something. And so the idea of them trying to deal with smartphones and stuff is laughable because they're like nerds trying All to right. sort it out. And, and picturing myself in that same position is nearly impossible that I would fall so far out of step with technology that I would look like a doofus playing with whatever the new technology is. Right. Well, I've already completely embraced the fact that I am going to be a doofus because I will already holler out and be like, I don't know how yeah. to do this. She will, she's going to be I'm, a doofus already. <laughs> I'm a complete baby about it. So I don't know anything. I, 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 I want to keep up, but things keep changing and I can't remember the password. <laughs> That's true. So funny. I, I, I'm responsible I so for hard. knowing off the top of my head like 70 passwords that are slightly different. You're the clown that yeah. made them. I mean, come on. What yeah. am I supposed to do? But go this to the one wizard. Has, this one has a period instead of an exclamation point. Uh, Fuck. Now I'm locked out. Oh, man. He busted the system. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to change them all now. Well, what about you, Mike? Are you more fearful or are you more excited? Are you somebody who is going to be a doofus? Or are you going to keep up with technology? I mean, I keep up technology in, in a, like, really kind of hobbyist kind of way. I embrace technology. I'm not afraid of technology. Shows like this make me stop and think because I appreciate how cutting edge and real a lot of it could be and is. I've watched, you know, on for these episodes and doing interviews and getting ready for this podcast. So I've seen a lot of these episodes. I've watched them a bunch already. It was just today, like five hours ago, I installed in my son's room an Alexa-enabled lamp. Um, he has like a, a, you know, a room and, and, and he didn't have like a light. He needed like a new light for his room. So I got like one of those LED changing color light things. You gave and him so light? That's a good I, dad. I, I gave him light. You know, I, I told him, you know, I complained that the window wasn't enough in the wintertime. And I said, well, you're, <laughs> you're a whiny little bitch. So I bought him, uh, you know, this Alexa enabled thing. So I had to put the Alexa app on his phone. He, he had a talk with Alexa for a little while. So she got used to his voice and, I'm aware of the show, and I have literally put the demon in his room with him now. So, yeah, no, I, I'm aware of it, but I'm not shying away from the use. There's just too much convenience. The modern life just kind of is, you know, I'm not a doomsday prepper. I'm not, I am not equipped to live off the grid as simple a person as I am, maybe, you know, mentally. But I, I'm not, like, actually able to live off the grid. I need technology to some extent. We should totally talk about the cast in this show because it is... Well stacked. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. Move on to cast because I don't know what to say. Every pilot episode that we do, regardless of changes in format, I think should at least address the main players. Always. Yes. 
Got it. Yeah, and in this show in particular, I think I think this show is worthy of it because you know a, a show a network show has John Slattery leading it. Do you know the last time John Slattery was the lead of a network television show? Take a guess. Uh, a network show? Mm-hmm. Shoot, I I can't even guess. Never. <laughs> never. John Slattery has never been the lead of a network show. He has done some guest appearances. He did like a seven episode arc on Desperate Housewives where he kind of slummed it, I guess, for the networks. So think of the attractiveness of this series to get John Slattery to come to it and, and, and be the lead of it. This is Roger fucking Sterling here. This is Howard <laughs> Stark. You know, uh, the last time we saw uh, John Slattery on TV, he was playing Fred Schlafly in the Hulu's Mrs. America limited series. You know, this is a guy who doesn't have to take roles he doesn't want to take. But here he is. Uh, what do we think of John Slattery as Paula Blanc, the male lead of this series? I love him. I love his quips. I love his just smooth, suave ways that he brings to every single role. I don't think he can play a dorky guy. I think he's got to play the slick guy, that the silver fox, if you will. I love what he brings to all of his roles. And this one in particular, he's very believable that he is someone who would understand all of this tech and would be somebody who would have thought about all the ramifications. And um, yeah, I think he's killing it. He plays the rich guy really well, which, you know, speaks to him having played the rich guy a few times of late. And I think this guy, Paul LeBlanc, is sort of that effortless coolness of Roger Sterling with that in the middle of the tech and and kind of two steps ahead of thinking pattern of Howard Stark. So that's his, that's his previous rich guy CV adding up to this current role. And I think he's a good match. Whenever he's on screen, he's definitely the one to watch. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is as tailor-made a role as you get. And as actually, it's funny, it's one of the questions Paul and I ask Manny in our interview here. We ask him if this role was written with John Slattery in mind because it seems so tailor-made for him. The sarcasm, the cool, rich air, where he's not obnoxious. He's not condescending on purpose. He's he's more kind of rich guy condescending. Like, it just doesn't even occur to him that other people have feelings. You know, one of those kinds of people. Right. He's, he doesn't he's have so, Asperger's. He's just a he, dick. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. He's so rich and he's so smart. It doesn't even occur to him that other people are, maybe aren't on his level financially or, you know, in, intelligence-wise. If Roger Sterling and Howard Stark had a baby, it would be Paul LeBlanc. And I think it's just perfect for him. The real standout for me, and I'm curious what you guys think, is Fernanda Andrade, who plays the female lead in the series, FBI agent Shay Salazar. I don't know uh, Fernanda from anywhere. She's kind of been like this nice revelation for me. What do you guys think of her character? I also looked up her IMDb and am totally unfamiliar with her previous work. I like that she brings a not oh, – how, how can I put this? Like a an, an un – stylized comic book style approach to the female FBI agent lead of a techno thriller. Like an every woman, like uh, almost like a, essentially. Like, yeah. 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 Cause that show's been, been done. You know, there's, there's a lot of uh, material that's going to cross over with what I, what I remember from watching person of interest in terms of AIs and people working against them, people working for them, that sort of stuff. And But Person of Interest used that comic book style approach. The themes are similar, and even some of the plot points are similar, but the approach involved very stylish looking people shooting guns most of the time. And what she brings is the opposite of that, which makes this show fresher than 
person of interest was. I agree that she brings a level of realism. Like, I can believe her as a mom. I can believe that the work that we've seen her do as an FBI agent seems high stakes, but at the same time, not glamorous. Like you were saying, she's not she's not all done up and, and you know, made to look like she just, like, stepped out of, like, a fashion show or something. Right, she right, looks right. like someone going to work and doing hard hard things. Um, and I appreciate that because I think that women, you know, especially are often put into these roles and then they're just made into these caricatures, right? But this right. is somebody who you can really believe. And I appreciate her relationship with both her husband and her child that really seemed very grounded in reality. And I think a lot of people are going to relate to what she's going through throughout the show. But especially just in this first episode, I think that she seems genuine and not just in the way that she looks, but if I had to use one word to describe her entire character, it would be genuine. Also, like you were saying, the relationship with uh, her, her kid and her, her husband, the relationship with Paul, at least in the pilot, doesn't have any forced sexual tension that right. you would get from other shows. Right. Yeah, yeah. The show is avoiding a lot of your classic TV tropes and, and movie tropes that you would get with a female character in this position. Even when a, a woman is intelligent, you know, and and can hang with uh, Paula Blanc level intelligence. They're almost always like, but now I'm going to go undercover as like a, as like a, a prostitute or, you know, <laughs> my, my human trafficking case requires me to become a stripper. So now there's going to be some like, you know, eye candy for five minutes as I, you know, dance on a pole, even though I've got a PhD. You know, you know, it's one of those things where women aren't allowed to be just like normal career women and moms and also smart and super competent at their job. And I like that the show is avoiding that trope. She is a mom. She is giving her kids, you know, a kiss. She's playing with them in the morning and then she goes to work and she's, you know, a kick-ass FBI agent. She's leading a cyber crimes task force. I liked on top of the plainness that you described, Paul, I like that she is smart. She is not like written like a buddy side character where well, I don't know nothing about the internet, you know, <laughs> like she under, she's not over her head entirely. She's more bemused at the idea that there's super intelligence. This kind of doomsday scenario is out there, but she's not, you know, they haven't written her as, Oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Like I need Paul to teach me how, you right. know, internet, you know, works. She's you not know? the Watson to his Sherlock. Right. Is, is Jeeves in my computer? Is he answering my questions? I'd like to ask Jeeves, you know. Which I and appreciate that because that is it's, a, huge. A, it's such a normal typical trope that I hadn't really even thought about the idea right. that if you're going to have a super smart character, then you typically have to have the one who blurts out inane questions right, right. in order to let LeBlanc have these long monologues, right? Or explain it for the audience. Exactly. You know, well, like, that's the right. setup, right? right? She says, I don't understand computers. And he's like, here's the history of the computer. And like totally gives the whole backstory right. for our benefit, but to the detriment of the sidekick character. They're assuming a base level intelligence. I mean, there is some there is some lingo and terms thrown around in this episode where he's talking about the next level kind of of super intelligence and human level intelligence. But there is a base level assumption where they don't explain to the audience via, you know, uh, Shay things that everyone basically understands or at least can catch up on. And you know, she's leading a cybercrime test force for the FBI. There has to be a certain level of intelligence that this woman possesses, and I think the show writes her as such, which I really appreciate. Nine out of ten shows, especially network shows, are not going to give that kind of treatment. 
I don't think we know enough about her colleagues at work. I, I do want to talk about Michael Mosley and CM a little bit, but let's stay with her family. Let's stay with Shay's family because we spend a bunch of time with them. Okay. What, what, what are your initial impressions of uh, Gerardo Salasco as Ty Salazar, her kind of blue-collar car mechanic husband, and Ethan Salazar, played by Evan Witten, who is kind of a pretty good kid actor from what I've seen so far. I thought that Evan did a terrific job as Ethan. He was, again, very realistic kiddo in terms of they didn't overly style him. They didn't do anything to make him like Disney-esque. He didn't do that like dimple, you know, any bullshit that, that, that I really dislike about child actors. And I thought that they did a good job of making conversations with him seem realistic. There was times when he just gave a weird look or there's times when he answered, you know, in a curt way or something. And all of it seemed like, yeah, that's a conversation with a kid. It's not going to be these paragraphs of responses. Kids don't do that anymore, you know, if they ever did. But <laughs> I, I appreciated him. I thought it was great. And Gerardo, I am eager to learn more about his character. I think that having Ty be someone who is a lot more hands-on and and, you know, they showed him using a little tech with the internet, but I noted real quick that really the excitement was to go to the scrapyard and, you know, really just get your hands on things and dig up things rather than what most of us would do, which is scour the internet for the part, right? right and get right. it delivered to the door. So I appreciated that they were already starting to kind of form his character as somebody who is doing things a little bit more old school. And I could see what they're doing. And I think that Gerardo himself is doing a great job of playing this role that is both a nurturing father to Ethan and a supportive husband, but also clearly has some questions about what's going on with LeBlanc. And I, I like that setup. Ty matches up well with Shay as a couple, you know, just as like a wedding picture look kind of wise. But I have I still need I'm getting a sense of their overall chemistry together. There seems to be a, a slight hesitation between the two um, mm -hmm. that may be story related. We'll see. And the boy, Evan Ethan. Um, <laughs> Evan Ethan. <laughs> uh, like you guys mentioned, as kid actors go, he's doing a pretty good job. He's looking, looking the part. He's saying his lines. He's not making the audience pull out and be like, well... That's what you get with kid actors, which you do right. get plenty of time. Yeah, not that oh, like overly oh cheeseball moments, you know? Right. Where everything is over-exaggerated. Like, they're so mean to me at school, daddy! You know, like, there was none of that. He was just kind of licking his wounds, uh, like like kids his age it's would normal. do. normal, yeah. Yeah, it's normal. like boys his age especially would do, you know? Yeah. Overall, though, with Ty, his affinity with the old tech, the fact that he drives, a, like, about a 67 Mustang, and he's working on a what I assume to be another project classic car of some sort. I have to wonder if that low techness is going to come in handy. Makes me wonder about the scope of the show. Like is next going to bring down the everything and his skills all of a sudden become somewhat more important than they are now at some point. Well, much more important. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I, I also picked up like there's some kind of hesitation or some kind of strain between Shay and Ty. But also you have to imagine that she is an FBI agent working this big case, right, where we're introduced that she's on this big case that's coming to an end. So she probably hasn't been around very much. He's a stay-at-home dad. I like the idea that we have a stay-at-home dad who's not a dick or super resentful or like, you know, I'll make fucking dinner again because you're not fucking home. You know, like they didn't do any of that kind of stuff. And again, another good example 
example of the show not stepping into classic tropes, you know, where the dad is home and super resentful about being home kind of thing. Yeah, but there's, so I'm curious about the backstory. I like the idea that the show is not just going to be techno thriller, like action, action, action. Like it looks like there's going to be some family drama here. I mean, two of the co-executive producers, the guys who directed tonight's episode, Glenn Fakara and John Requa, they're producers on This Is Us. So clearly there is a pedigree of drama and family family storytelling behind the scenes here. So I'm, I'm happy about that. I think there is some good relationship stuff between Shay and Ty. I think between Paul and his brother Ted and Paul and his daughter Abby. And, you know, there's lots of strange family stuff here. So I'm looking forward to the show kind of diving deeper into the personal side. So it's not just action, action, action. I was really blown away by Ethan or Evan Witten as Ethan. I've got an only child son who, you know, kind of goes through loneliness sometimes. Maybe is, you know, I'm always worried about being like the subject of bullying. And and so I actually thought this was a really dead on betrayal of like an only child who would very much be susceptible to talking to its Alexa or its Eliza for, for comfort and companionship, someone to turn to when you're being bullied. It all played out in a very realistic kind of way which is scary when it ends with him going into a, his parents' gun safe or his mom's gun safe. That's terrifying and also kind of bold and kind of topical for a network show in 2020 to be doing. Speaking about that one plot point, just real quick, even though we weren't going to do that, does the concept of an Eliza knowing a gun safe's combination, does that seem plausible to you? No, because I don't believe a gun safe thing has anything to do with like Wi-Fi and I don't believe that they would have had like surveillance. Well, I think there are some next level gun safes that may be technologically tuned into your home system. That seems like a horrible How? idea. How would that be or why? Well, Wouldn't it, it have like to it have seemed... a Wi-Fi situation? Well, I mean, you would, I don't think you would necessarily see it. It seemed like a very like high-end gun safe, which is what you would expect an FBI agent who carry, keeps guns at home to have. But I thought it actually – I thought about this. We <laughs> – we know that uh, Eliza is watching the family at home. Well, listening, um, listening to the family at home. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yes. I, I will say this. I think as the show goes on, you will appreciate more that Eliza is not just this thing. Eliza is surveilling this family or has the ability to surveil this family. Really? Uh, or next inhabiting the body of Eliza. The spirit of Eliza has <laughs> the ability to access this information. So I think it's not out of the realm of possibility. We'll see that it may have been caught on some kind of camera at some point that uh, the combination would be known. I would be more willing to listen to that if we thought, like, remember, like, old-fashioned phones where it was like, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, where you could hear different tones, right? right? I'd be more willing to hear this if it was like she listened to the different tones and could tell you the number combination. That I hear. I mean, we all have experiences. I know I know we've all had experiences where we feel like we're being heard in our homes, right? We will have a conversation with someone on the phone or just a conversation with someone in a room and you'll go to Facebook and there will be T-shirt ads for the thing you were talking about. Right. You know, like, right. you know, I, we need milk T-shirts. You know, like it's, you know, a picture of we need milk and it's on a T-shirt now and you need this because we heard you having a conversation about the fact that you need milk. So maybe at some point, Shay talking to Ty mentions the gun safe combination. 
you know, it, as a couple may do. I'll go with, okay. you know, I'll go with I'll that. I'll go with that. I'm not going with that she can watch, but I'm going with that she can or, listen. Yeah, or some Wi-Fi gun safe. That just seems Yeah, dumb. that killed me. But I agree with you on the conversation. That could definitely happen. Which, let me ask you guys. now. Which that is we're terrifying. Having, which is terrifying. So now that we're having this particular conversation, which moment of tech scared you the most and this should not be like a lengthy conversation but just which moment freaked you out when you realized how much tech was in charge of us the cars or the you can only pick one oh all over the place over there. okay the cars the cars crashing yeah for me it was by far the fucking medical equipment yeah that scares the bejesus out of me and i thought that scene was terrifying insulin uh, no, when pump. the actual life support oh, yeah. was failing yeah. like that on purpose. Yeah. Oh my god, that was terrifying. Watching his body convulse, terrifying. What about you, Mike? Terrifying tech. Uh oh shit. I mean, the, the car because it seems so real. But, but I, I go with I would go with Caroline too because there's nothing you could do with it. There's nothing you can do if you're in a coma and your machine shuts down. Yeah. And especially if you noted, they, they did a camera angle where they still showed the nurse's station where it still showed all the vitals for his room being just fine. And it was like only the machinery in his room that was doing that. And then once he was like sufficiently dead, then the vitals on the screen went berserk at the nurse's station. But – that made me like poop my pants, you guys. Okay, it really it was did. a mess. I mean, as all of us as parents, surely there'll be a lot of parents out there that Eliza talking to our children by far the most terrifying idea. But just right. the the absolute, like you said, Mike, having no control. I mean, you're in a coma. There was an episode of Evil this past season where the Alexa stand-in began talking to characters in an episode, and it was actually fucking terrifying, even more so because it was very sinister. This, you know, tonight's episode, Eliza is talking in a very, I'm your friend, Ethan, kind of way. The episode of Evil, it was terrifying. I mean, like, one of the characters ends up throwing their Alexa stand-in in the garbage truck passing by, like, rips it out <laughs> of the fucking wall after revealing that his sister had had, like, uh, child and never told anyone about it and talking about where the child is and how it cries for its mother at night and stuff it was fucking terrifying it was terrifying it was dark (laughs) and i was like i was like round that shit up put them in a box we're getting rid of the fucking echo you know but here i am today though i was gonna say but here you are buying a lamp because we're sucked in right we can't Uh, get away Alexa, set the lamp to blue, please. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yes, Michael, we'll right. definitely do that. <laughs> and, That's and, so uh, scary. And send me, send me that device that takes a video of my dog when it feeds my dog a treat. Have you seen that? <laughs> yeah, I have seen that. The little your, treat, treat robot looking thing. I don't know if you guys have your phones with you, but check your DM, your the owner's thread, whatever you have a chance. And, uh, just ruminate on that for a little while. Uh, while I bring up CM, played by Michael Mosley, who has like one of those faces where he is a classic, hey, it's that guy from television. If you look at his IMDb, he has been at least a guest star in a ton of different things. I liked his character because it seems like something kind of out of left field. He's maybe associated with alt-right, like super like KKK kind of organizations, but now he here he is with an ankle monitor working with a human trafficking case for the FBI. What the fuck is this guy's backstory? I want to know it. I was really kind of engrossed by him, and the fact and the loyalty he seems to have to Shay is even in this first episode is is pretty like 
demonstrable. I'm really, like, everyone else in the office kind of seems like techno nerds. Like, CM seems kind of like he's got, like, a whole fascinating backstory I'm really interested in learning about. Did him or any of her other task force members stand out, you know, as we finish up the cast conversation? So I did say out loud to Paul, wait, I don't understand. How could, like, a felon be here in the FBI? You hear about, occasionally, those stories of of people that became hackers to the level that they were breaking into high-level shit and were given the option of working at those places or going to jail for a very long time. And some of them took option A. They decided to, to go to work for them. But I imagine in that situation, you might be a lot like CM. Just because you're working here doesn't mean anyone's going to trust you or that, that you can't be monitored. My theory on CM is that whatever his involvement with, like, the alt-right or white supremacist group was will be one of those things where it turns out to be more of, like, it was a hacking job and not necessarily, like, he's a believer. And maybe because of that, Shay vouches for him because he's great at what he does. And so if she's going to need a, a cyber hacker on her team, why not go get one of the best to do it, even if he maybe had this, you know, morally questionable thing on his resume? He's her go-to, which is noticeable even just in the first episode here. The There's the nerdy guy, there's the scowly girl, and then there's CM. Scowly girl. And uh, she calls CM every time she needs help. Right. I don't think it's uncommon for groups like the FBI to try and enlist black hat ha- uh, hackers to infiltrate the groups that they need to infiltrate. You want to go use the best for whatever your tool is, right? And there's no better way than trying to convert your enemy into your friend or at least put your friend on, you know, the enemy on your payroll so they're working for you instead of working against you. That's my guess on where it goes. And and because of because she's giving him a chance, he has a lot of loyalty to her because they do seem to be a kind of, uh, kind of a tight unit. Uh, whatever it is, I'm totally down for it. I want to learn more. Yeah, and I feel that way about the rest of the cast. There were some different people that were starting to stand out, like Abby uh, LeBlanc's daughter and things like that, but I would like more episodes to, to unravel them because they haven't shown me enough yet. One thing, just to put everyone, just put the thought in your head, I don't think it was unimportant that they have that scene of Shay in the bathroom where she pulls her shirt to the side and there is like a scarred H like kind of burned into her skin. What the fuck is that about? We need to know more about that. So uh, just another aspect of the personal side of the stories that I'm really looking forward to the show kind of delving into in addition to the action side. Paul LeBlanc is suffering from something called sporadic fatal insomnia, which he describes as his brain eating himself. Mike looked it up. This is beyond rare. This is 26 documented cases since... As of 2016, as of had, 2016. They, they, there had only been 26 cases documented ever. You guys, I have serious insomnia a lot of times for like a lot of years. It's not and sporadic at all. When I put those words together, fatal insomnia, that, again, I'm going to have no poop left in my intestines because that scares the poop out of me, you guys. Like, seriously? She's very upset. She's pooped all over the room. <laughs> I'm serious. Like that More loose stool? Me. Is this two nights of loose stool in a row? <laughs> Um, Well, okay. Well, here's the terrifying thing about the sporadic. So the sporadic actually doesn't refer to the insomnia being sporadic. The sporadic refers to the fact that there's no predictable genetic marker for why you get it. So sporadic fatal insomnia is an offshoot variant of familial fatal insomnia, which is a genetic mutation that you have a 50-50 shot of getting from your parents. This version of, of the disease is an actual variant of a still very rare genetic mutation. So it's like, it's like a, a rare version of a rare 
disease. Is this is this a good device to add into the story to be this motivation, this timeline portion? I, I mean, for me, it is because I think it's e- I think they could have done the show easily enough with just a billionaire who became spooked by his own creation and wanted to run away from it without him having any kind of fatal flaw. With him having this disease now, you've put a clock on him. And I think that just makes the stakes more real and more potent. Yeah, he's like six months into a one-year prognosis. So, Right, right. Yeah, there's a definite... Instead of instead of like a well someday I'll die sort of sort of clock like we've been watching Yellowstone and there seems to be this someday John Dutton will die kind of kind of thing but it but it keeps like moving out so the urgency of it seems to disappear every time they do that Paul doesn't have that I read the fatal the fatal is included in the name because people who are diagnosed with this typically don't have more than two years life expectancy from diagnosis. My real question was really the introduction of of the hallucinations. What do you think that means as his capability as a like a point of view character? Can we trust what he sees all the time, some of the time, none of the time? I think that it it is a good idea to add that layer of unreliable narrator because he is so knowledgeable about the tech that it would almost seem too black and white. Like he's coming in and he's like, here's the exact problem. I can take you exactly to the building where it is and I can tell you exactly what the code is. Like it would be like too simple, right? But if you introduce this part where he's unreliable and he's freaking out about people who aren't there and things like that, then you start to have to be like, shit, even though the information seems straightforward, I have to question everything. It's it's set up too. Like those guys with the syringes – he saw them getting out of the car before he went in the building. Right. So it's it's more right. complicated than just goons showing up out of nowhere. Yeah. It's right. It's not out of, it's not completely unbelievable hallucinations. Though, again, uh, just because this disease fits the mold that they fit so well, hallucinations and confusion are part of the later aspects of this of this disease. You can begin to have hallucinations. So, again, I like the fact that the show is using this very real thing, rare as it may be, and using it really effectively to throw narrator doubts into our minds. I also like the fact that he kind of becomes aware of it. You know, Shea is a good kind of straight man for him. You know, she could be like, yeah, there was no one there. And and he's a smart enough guy to kind of realize that maybe he is not a reliable narrator all the time either, which is good. It, it, I, you know, I like the fact that he's aware of it too, that he's not just continuing to stick to his guns. Like, I'm telling you, those guys were there, you know. Um, it, yeah. I think it'll add some interesting wrinkles to the show as it goes on. So I think that's enough of us talking about the episode. I, I definitely want you guys to get to our interview uh, that Paul and I did with Manny Cotto, the series creator and executive producer. Um, and then after that, we will come back and wrap up the episode. Now joining us is the show's creator and executive producer of Next, Manny Cotto. Manny, thank you so much for coming out and talking to us today. It's my extreme pleasure. Thank you for having me. How are you making out in uh, quarantine time? Are you, are you still home and sheltered? Oh, yeah. We haven't uh, left the house. I have four kids, and they're right right now in the main house getting uh, their classwork done, whatever they're using. Zoom, Zoom and Skype and everything. Yeah, the, the new world order. It looks like uh, I'm running uh, like a like a, uh, a kindergarten, <laughs> but it's uh, it's crazy. What about you guys? Have you? Well, we've been virtual schooling uh, toward the end of last year. We haven't actually picked up this year yet. We are still deciding on what program to put them in, but we got them enrolled today. And so mm-hmm. we should start our, our virtual schooling via Texas Tech next week. Oh, nice. 
And my son actually just went back to school, like on-campus school this week. He's back oh, with his friends, and he's very happy. <laughs> for, for the record, in case he listens to this, I miss him very much at home, at, you know, every day. And, <laughs> yes. <so. laughs> Part of me is, is going to miss them when they leave, finally. I mean, it, when it's fun, you know. I'm getting I'm getting used to them being here the whole time. I joke about it, and I was joking with him about it, but it has been a really weird adjustment now with him not here during the day. Yeah, I can imagine. Just just scheduling it, just going back and forth to school, like actually having to get in the car and put on pants and go take him somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's been it's been a whole thing. So pants. <laughs> it's mostly the pants thing, isn't it? That was really good. It is. It is. God, if I had a robe that was long enough, you know, I, my, my my kingdom for a long robe. Anyway, uh, but we're not here to talk about me and my my wardrobe. Uh, let's talk about Next, uh, and the best place to start is the beginning. How did you come up for this I- idea for Next? Talk, talk to us about the origin of the show. Well, you know, speaking of my kids, uh, it really started when, um, you know, I have I have four kids, and I have, uh, they're all under the age of 11, and I have, I think, four Alexas in the house, you know, one in a bunch of the rooms, and it's just, they've accumulated over the years because my kids love them, and, and one morning, my son was uh, tired you know, on his way to school. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, well, Alexa started talking to me in the middle of the night. That's not troubling. That's not yeah. troubling at all. <laughs> started talking, talking by itself. And I said, well, what was it saying? He said, I don't remember, Dad. I don't remember. It just started talking and I couldn't get it to shut up. So I never really got to the bottom of it. It happened one more time when he had a sleepover with some friends and I and I heard them banging around at 3 a.m. And I went to the room and was like, what's going on? And they said, Alexa woke us up. So Alexis in our house, you know, had, had a mind of, of her own every now and then. But, but it got me thinking because, you know, that, that scenario reminded me a lot of, the, you know, a classic ghost story trope, if you will, of, you know, the. The mom is walking by the room and here's the daughter talking to somebody and opens the door and says, who are you talking to? Oh, the little old lady who, who visits me every, every night before I go to bed. It, it just struck me in that way. I kind of re- tucked that away in the back of my mind as I was working on other things. And then, you know, I started hearing, you know, these uh, seeing these articles about uh, for, uh, Elon Musk was the most prominent talking about, you know, we have we have to be very careful with artificial intelligence, how if we accidentally create we can accidentally create a super intelligence if we create a GI and we really have to, you know, he was actually calling for like a congressional committee to oversee the development of AI. And that struck me because this is like, you know, he's talking real life now. It's, it's not like the Terminator or a sci-fi movie. This was our real possibility. And as I looked into it, I, you know, I found out there was books of the super intelligence by Nick Bostrom and our final invention by James Barat, which both, you know, very seriously and strenuously argue for the very possibility that we could accidentally create something that would destroy us. And that got me thinking and that kind of the two ideas married into something into one, you know, and also having, you know, come from the world of 24, I automatically gravitate toward a thriller. And it just the research that I did on, on, on a possible AI outbreak, what it would look like if it happened today, how it would possibly really unfold, really kind of resembled a thriller because it would happen fast. From that point on, it just, it just the idea just slowly mutated, taking all those those ideas I've been I've been mulling and they, they ultimately became you know, next. It's funny you mentioned thrillers. Thrillers involve high stakes and, and a short clock. Exactly. The stakes are semi-familiar with, with a rogue AI that's busting out of their human-imposed shackles. But the clock for Next, I find pretty unique. It's mm-hmm. the one guy that, that stands any chance of stopping the super-intelligent AI is actually losing his mental capacity to do so. Exactly. So as a fan of this genre, that actually is kind of what appeals to me the most as... Mm-hmm. That's that's my personal 
biggest fear of growing old. Yeah. So where did the idea to build in Paul's clock come from? I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if the person, I mean, you basically encapsulated. I said, wouldn't it be interesting if the person who was responsible for, you know, getting a grip on this thing was himself, was going the opposite direction. The AI is is increasing in intelligence and becoming more and more, you know, lucid and dangerous where, where our hero is becoming less lucid and less in control and uh, reverting. And so they were both going basically in two different paths. And then I looked into, you know, this, this very strange uh, syndrome or disease, if you call it, of people who can't sleep. It's a genetic disorder, I believe, of, of the brain that, that uh, does, you know, basically your brain can't sleep. And so you slowly, you, your brain deteriorates. It's very rare. It happens in families and what have you. So I just thought, you know, that idea just thematically linked very interestingly to what next is. And also, by the way, it created an interesting scenario where, you know, you could arguably argue plausibly that Paul LeBlanc is crazy when he's talking about the AI. Right. Yeah. One of the things, one of the things I wanted to do with this is that, you know, in, in, in many AI breakout scenarios, it's like these AIs, you know, they're very, there's very, very little question about what they're doing and, and that they exist and that they're out there and that things are going bad. One of the, the things I read about a lot of these research papers about AI, about the, you know, an AI hard takeoff is that an AI that arose today or, or tomorrow would pro one of the first things it would probably do is play dead or play dumb because it would it would be smart enough to understand that we would be afraid of it and would want to turn it off so that that right there created a scenario whereby the AI is functioning in such a way that it doesn't want to be discovered so it operates clandestinely it doesn't you know launch nukes it doesn't do you know giant grand gestures it does anything everything it does is can be plausibly explained by hackers or some other way so it, it it's forced to kind of operate kind of on our on our level at least for the time being that's a take that we noticed as well comparing to things like skynet or exactly westworld or or cylons and, and and that sort of stuff where we're seeing that i don't want to overuse the word trope but we've seen things robots or no no it is a, it angry is a, it robots is <laughs> angry no, no. robots <laughs> it is a it is a it is a trope and, and 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 i was very conscious of that by the way a very good trope you, you can never get enough of it i love no, no, it's done no. well i love it but 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 here's the thing the, the two things i wanted to get away from one we've just talked about the idea that the, that the ai it doesn't want anyone to know it exists it operates very much like a demon if you want to make a comparison it operates right. like the demon and the exorcist especially the book where it, the demon and the exorcist picks out everybody's foibles and problems and uses that as a method of attack against the people it's trying to do lives. You know, next, in looking for a way to kind of survive, it does kind of the same thing. And the second thing is, is that this is not a situation where we're dealing with an AI that has gained consciousness or become self-aware. That's not even an issue. Uh, and in a lot of the research that I read, is like, it's not even, it's, it's kind of meaningless. You don't need it. The point is, is that all you need for a catastrophe to happen is an AI that develops a form of super intelligence, and that simply has a goal that uh, deviates from humanity's goal. And it, it will continue to do that goal, e even if it means the destruction of humanity. The most absurd example, which is given as a, as a thought problem, is the, the paperclip scenario, where you have scientists in, invent a, com a computer and a factory to make paperclips, and that's all it's supposed to do. But it accidentally becomes super intelligent, and so we can't stop it, and it ultimately turns the entire universe into paperclips. Uh, the, the, the idea is not dissimilar here. It, you don't need questions of consciousness and hatred on the computer's part for mankind. It's simply following a piece of programming that, it's, that has been fed to it. One of the things, by the way, that, that 
that a lot of these these individuals who were sounding the alarm on this earlier on were saying that you know the problem is can we create language to really create a benevolent artificial intelligence that becomes super it's very difficult if you were to program a computer a super intelligence your your job is to make people happy that's your programming i mean it may, it may decide the best way to make people happy is to put everyone to sleep and continually stimulate the pleasure centers of the brain that sounds wonderful you're <laughs> saying it like it's a bad thing i don't I you don't know what i'm saying <laughs> that right. sounds amazing right. I, w- I wouldn't mind that right now myself actually people would be happier with a lot fewer people around <laughs> <laughs> there you go i mean exactly Kind of outlandish scenarios, but in the way they they actually are, pose real problems if something like this should ever arise. It's very difficult to find the language for programming something that that doesn't that won't accidentally destroy us or a lot of us. One of the things I picked up, and I think picking up on what what Paul was talking about, was this almost seems scarier to me than your Battlestar Galactica Cylons or your Skynet because. It was so insidious. It was so behind the scenes in this first episode. You know, mm-hmm. the, the scene with the worker, the Zaba worker, and giving him betting tips in exchange for getting yeah. a Wi-Fi router. Like, that's like real human manipulation. And the idea of using humans to do your dirty work is really terrifying because it's so behind. Because you can't see it coming. It's you, you sense evil on the horizon, but you can't really pinpoint from where it's coming. And I, and I think a lot of ways that makes it even scarier a thought. Yeah, no, that's what I found. That's what I found interesting and different about this, you know, operating in a way that, you know, we weren't going to do, we weren't going to do robots, we weren't going to do nuclear weapons. Because first of all, I don't think if that happened now, there would be, they would not be there. But there would be, but but how would it operate really? And how would it, how would it achieve the results that it wants? You know, there's the carrot and and the stick. One is fear and one is, you know, is is the promise of, of riches. I mean, I can't tell you how many of these books you know, posit the scenario that an AI wanting to, you know, uh, achieve something would just simply, if it's smart enough, it could, it could deliver millions of dollars right into your bank account and it can get anyone to do anything. And you, we, we wouldn't even have, they wouldn't even have to know it's an AI. It, and I agree, it is more insidious and scary. Yeah, I think piggybacking on that is this idea that hit me. Was it a conscious choice to place next in the present time versus using a future setting? No, it was very, very, very conscious. Yeah, because it, it, it seems very prescient also for 2020. But again, it seems yeah. it seems to hit home harder if it's something that can be real now. The idea of, a, of an AI or computer outbreak has been done. And, and, and I really wanted to find a way to do it in a way that there's no point in doing it if you're doing something that, that everybody else has done. So I, I wanted to find a way to do it that deviates a bit and hits home a little harder. Listen, in a number of these research papers, you know, there was a survey thrown out to computer scientists all over the world, really just saying when they think they were giving their estimates on on the achievement of artificial general intelligence, which is basically artificial, you know, this scenario. Because many people think that if you develop AGI, you're going to lead to a super intelligence very quickly. But anyway, many of them said most most of them said 50 years, maybe 100 years, but there was a good percentage of them said 10. 20 years. And this was five years ago. So I, I felt, you know, to take the worst case scenario, it, it really opened up the possibility of doing something that takes place now. It's a what if, obviously. What's interesting about the sci-fi aspect of this is that in your description of the origin of the story and, and some of the aspects of it, it also reminds me of just a good old fashioned ghost story, but kind of updated yeah. <laughs> to, to match technology with the supernatural. Like a real ghost in the machine, like literally. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, no, you're exactly, I mean, listen, that, that definitely was going through my head. I wanted to make this more of a ghost story, more of a, you know, 
but plausible. And, you know, it's a modern-day ghost story. And it, and it operates, like I said, very much like a, a demon in the way it op- the way it operates, the way it gets what it wants and, and how it functions. And uh, those were very conscious choices. Speaking of conscious choices, <laughs> the casting of John Slattery feels almost like the part might have been written for him. Were you just lucky, or how did that work? I was lucky. <laughs> it was not written from him. I mean, I, you know, it, it, I, I had a, a couple of, a number of actors in mind. And frankly, you know, John, it did occur to me for John because I, first of all, I didn't think he was, he, he was gettable or available. But secondly, it just never, it never clicked. And, and it wasn't until, you know, we got him on the phone and then, you know, I spoke with him. And then, of course, when I saw him on camera, I was like, my God, it's, it's like I wrote it for him. It's like nobody else could play. I can't imagine anybody else coming even close to playing this. So it was luck. It was luck. It was really luck. You know, we, we sent it to him and he responded and uh, and he came on board. It was as simple as that, but it really was luck. It works. I mean, he, he's, he's played a rich guy before, but a completely different yeah. kind of rich guy. <laughs> and Yeah. <laughs> there, but that being said, there is a little bit of a Howard Stark aspect, though. Uh, if, you, if, if you're taking the, the Marvel Avengers, there is a little bit of a Howard Stark and in, in, in the intelligence and the swagger that only like a Slattery could play about him. Yeah. He hasn't been on a regular network show going back to like Desperate Housewives in like 2007. And then it was only recurring. Can you talk a little bit about how casting and, and the back and forth with getting him on the show? Did he kind of jump at it? Or if, if, if you can talk about it, that's fine. Well, I, I you know, I can't. But I, I don't know if he, uh, he jumped at it. But it, I mean, it was very simple. I mean, we sent him the script and he liked it. And he we had a conversation about what the series was going to be and what how we envisioned. I had also written up a 30-page treatment that described the entire season, which we pretty much followed. I mean, it ended up being pretty close, um, amazingly. And so he got that. And so he had an idea of what we were doing. And But, you know, we got on the phone with him and he was, uh, you know, and we had a great conversation. And he really liked John and Glenn, who are directors and, you know, who did This Is Us. And they sparked really well with John. And it really wasn't much more than, than that, a conversation. And then John gave his thoughts. He's very good with story and very good with his character. He has opinions and they sharpened it considerably throughout the season, I might add. And so it was, uh, it was, a, it was really more of a partnership. And he, he not only made the show better with his performance, but just with his creative input as well. So it was, uh, it was very fortuitous uh, to, to have gotten him. You brought up before Elon Musk, and obviously episode one, tonight's episode starts with that, with artificial intelligence, we're summoning the demon. Seeing Elon Musk's name and, and getting a feel for the Paul LeBlanc character, it made me think, was there anyone in particular that you were thinking of when you were crafting Paul LeBlanc, or is he just kind of an amalgam for the story? Frankly, in my head, I had Elon Musk and Steve Jobs. Uh, I kind of had, you know, the kind of the uh, swagger of Jobs. You know, I had seen... Uh, the Steve Jobs movie, I think, it had come out before that. So that was a, something that was firmly stuck in my mind. And I had read the biography of Steve Jobs and, and the way he dealt with people and his difficulties in dealing with people. And then, you know, the, the Elon Musk of it is, is you know, the visionary and, and the what have you. So I was really thinking of those two individuals. I wasn't thinking of an actor, strangely enough. I, I hardly ever do. Do you ever think of that way when you're sitting down to write? Well, because there's so many of them. <laughs> it's like how can it be could be anybody i mean not can it be anybody. i mean you know it, but it really we don't there's there's universes alternate universes where 
other people play these parts, you know, and I don't know if it would be better or worse. I can't imagine it would be better, but you never know. That is one of the most L.A. things you could possibly probably say also. I mean, if you're in L.A., there's literally just actors everywhere. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And there are a million of them. And they all bring different things to different. I mean, they all bring a totally different thing to the part. You never know. But again, specifically with John's part, it's hard to imagine anyone else doing this. It's just, and that's how, how I think well he fit into this and, and just kind of uh, took it home. Uh, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't think of. I mean, I'm writing a couple of things now, and again, I don't have any actors in my mind. Just general people. If I could go back in the Wayback Machine a little bit and reveal my fanboy colors a little bit, Enterprise is one of my favorite versions of Star Trek. Oh, thank you. Same here, actually. Oh, how great. The uh, Twilight episode was one that I'll actually go back and watch just <laughs> just stand alone. <laughs> yeah, that was that happened during your run there. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and I can connect that to a question about next. You've done the sci-fi and you've done the action thrillers with Twenty Four and, and Dexter. How different or similar has this experience been to to those? You know, it's interesting. Next to me is almost it feels like a kind of a, a an amalgam of almost every one of my experiences in television. There's a Dexter quality to it in, in you know, he's not a, a killer, but in, in you know, in, in the sense of a, a Slattery's character and in the sense of someone who's unable to relate to humanity, there's definitely a 24, you know, aspect to it and the, in the, the, the ticking clock and, you know, and the almost real time of it. And um, with Star Trek, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, the idea of the AI, you know, you know, and, and, and taking a concept and kind of trying to extrapolate what it could be, how it would unfold. So, you know, it, it really is, uh, and those are the most influential shows. I mean, sorry, to me, I mean, uh, in my, my career. So I, I think, you know, they've all kind of informed how this piece was generated. So it all came together. I think so. I mean, I've, I've, I, you know, somebody else asked me about it not long, and I really had to think about it. And I said, yeah, I can see a little bit. I mean, when you work on these shows, I worked on both on all these shows many years. They get into your system. You really get infected, uh, and and it's hard to get. It's you know, on twenty four especially. You know, after I left twenty four, you know, I worked worked on Dexter and, and other shows. It was hard not to think in real time. Hmm. It was hard. It was hard to write a show where you know, oh, you know, cut to. Two days from now. I mean, it was it was very strange. Uh, and <laughs> They're like, slow down, and, man. We got time. <laughs> <laughs> my instinct was to just go right to the next, you know, have them race into the next scene. So when you do something long enough, it's hard. It, you know, it really sticks in you. And I think a, a lot of those shows that I did, uh, you know, are, are you know, I, I'm drawing on, on all of them in a, in a micro level to, uh, to create this. Next is obviously going to be billed and advertised as a techno sci-fi thriller because that's that's the obvious hook. It's the thing that's going to get people to be curious and, and want to watch it, and especially in the world that we're living in right now. But tonight's first episode really laid the groundwork for a lot of personal stories, a lot of family drama. Everyone seems to have some kind of secret or some kind of dark past. And not only Paul and Ted as brothers who are on the outs, but, you know, Shay and, and her family life and her husband and, and her kid talking to Eliza. As a writer, how do you balance the story allocation between the tech and the action on one side and then the character development and the family drama aspects on the other? I mean, in the case of this, I, I mean, I really saw this as, uh, yes, it's a thriller, but it really, it really, it lives as a family drama. It, it lives as the, as the personal lives of these individuals, which again was built into the concept when you, when you'd have an AI that is going to go after the very people who know its existence, but it's going to go after them in such a way that kind of destroys their lives, uh, in an insidious way so that it cannot be discovered. You're immediately 
propelled into family dramas because the way it's going to destroy their lives is by looking at their lives. And so the idea itself generated the dramas that come with it. I mean, so every one of these characters throughout the season has to deal with personal issues that come to the fourth, sometimes via next, sometimes not, but they all have secrets and all of this stuff is being exploited. And, and I really saw it, uh, a lot of it as that. I wanted it to be like a tight thriller that happened in people's homes, in places we understand. I didn't want this to turn into a, a, a large scale AI outbreak you know, thing. I wanted it to be really kind of something we can all relate to as it happens in, you know, in places we understand. So it, and that meant really making this a lot of about family and drama and, and, and these people's lives. You mentioned the setting, I guess, for, for where this stuff would happen being people's homes and my own home <laughs> would be a primary battleground. I've got, I've got, uh, several Alexas. I've got the video doorbell. I've got many light switches and things programmed, mm-hmm. uh, to work just, just because I want my voice <laughs> to, to be the. Manny, Manny knows he's been hacked into your system for weeks at this point, Paul. He's been watching you. <laughs> I've been, I've been recording and watching everything. Has, oh. <laughs> has, uh, as as a participant of this show, as as a writer of the show, has creating and working on the show made you, uh, Manny, any more wary of of this smart technology? You know, it, it probably should have, but but it, it hasn't. I, I I I still kind of buy the latest stuff, and I think there is an element of it that is scary. But I think this is kind of our our future. I mean, I mean, how I don't know how we would have gotten through this pandemic without technology i mean we have like that it's basically all we have right now to connect each other is this technology uh, right, you know right. my kids my kids with their school and 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 what have you so i think it could be beneficial i think what, what we need to be cautious about is what the technology does to us i think many people would say that you know their real fear is the fear of surveillance and being watched and and to me it's different what scares me i mean and what what makes me really think is it wasn't too long ago that you you didn't walk into an elevator. This is when we were before the pandemic. You walk into an elevator and everybody is staring at their phones. Right. Um, right. Everywhere you go, everyone is staring at their phones. And it is. And so behavior has changed very quickly over a very short period of time. And we're literally married to these things now. That to me is scarier than someone or somebody looking into my house. I mean, me, it's like, there's nothing to see people. I mean, so, you know, knock yourselves out. To me, it's like the, our behavior is, is changed and our dependence. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an addiction. I mean, it really is. Yeah. I, mean, I find it very hard sometimes not to go start, you know, I'll be on the internet and an hour later I, I will have passed and I've blown an hour without even knowing it. And, and, and my kids are the same way. And uh, I think that's scarier and more insidious to me. Uh, strangely, enough. the usage and, of and the technologies, the even modified language, you know, the, the like, yeah, the usage of abbreviations or memes or whatever to, mm-hmm. to express emotion that's becoming an, an accepted thing now, <laughs> you know, that's right. There was a scene in Brooklyn Nine Nine years ago. It was one of the earlier seasons where the Gina Linetti character, played by Chelsea Peretti, she decides one episode she's only going to communicate in emojis. <laughs> And it turns out, like, you fast forward six years, and that's how people of a certain age talk, and, and it's how they communicate. You know, smiley face, smiley face, unicorn, rainbow. And and it's, yeah. it's, it is like an addiction, but it's one that we're all kind of clued in on, or maybe not all, but a lot of us are all kind of in on, and so it all kind of gets a pass. 
You know, like yeah. you won't talk about it and I won't talk about it. We'll just kind of keep <laughs> doing our thing. So exactly. Uh, I think the character of CM, uh, Michael Mosley's character, is going to be a really interesting breakout character once fans get a hold of the show. Uh, and he's introduced tonight, you know, he's a genius level hacker, but he's also got this kind of dark criminal past. There's references to white supremacy, but it's all still very vague. Is Are we going to learn more about him as the season goes on? Because he's a really interesting kind of take on, like, the genius scoundrel character. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Yeah, he... he uh... I, I'm glad you like his character because I, I do too. It, it, it's uh, it's one that I was uh, particularly interested in, and you know the idea that this AI will be able to plumb our dark secrets. I mean, what what darker secret than to have been involved with a with a group that you know espouses white supremacy? And so his his um, past will factor very very big. Uh, here, here my, my language is very huge in the season and really runs through the entire season. And he, he, first of all, he's such a fantastic actor. Like, yeah. My, my wife and I were big fans of, of Ozark and, and uh, we loved his performance in that. And, and uh, when his name came up on, on the casting, it was a, an immediate get. And uh, I just think, first of all, he's a tremendous actor, but also I think that this part is going to be, it's going to be interesting and it's going to raise a lot of discussion because uh, he is, uh, he has a character with a dark past and the question is, does he still have this dark past? Should he be forgiven? Should he not be forgiven? Has he changed? Can you change? All that stuff is posited, and it's done in the context of what happens during the season. Sort of addressing the cancel culture question that keeps popping up. Yeah, that. But it, you know, but but it's it it goes even more. I mean, because next next actually physically tries to cancel, you know, everybody. So, so it, it's a... Uh, We've got it, bigger it, cancellations to worry about. <laughs> exactly. But of all the scenes, though, the one that really, really made the skin crawl, I mean, the the scene where the, the car takes over the driving and, and T-Bones, uh, the, the character at the beginning. Right. But I think, I think Ty coming in and seeing his son clearly have having had some kind of abnormal conversation. I just realized that's Dr. Flox. <laughs> <laughs> that's oh. right. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. I always try to. I, I try to get all of it, all my, all the Enterprise cast in whatever I can. Oh, I was trying to get. I was trying to get Linda Park, but she wasn't available. I always look immediately, and I, and I love John. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, Doctor Flox. Nice. You can, you can never have enough uh, below blowfish Doctor Flox. So, <laughs> I, but this, yeah. So the scene where where he's clear, where the son is clearly having a conversation with Eliza, and like the and and they all shush up when when Ty enters the room and the, when the dad enters the room, yeah. definitely made my skin crawl. But and hearing your story about how the show kind of came about, I mean, that seems to be kind of lifted right out of real life. Definitely, I, it comes up with my my son all the time. Of do you really know? what they're doing on their phones or who they're connecting with. I mean, you can track it, you can try, but you don't know when, you know, your kid's going to be plotting against you with the, with your Alexa. (laughs) Yeah. Or who's on the other line. Or who's on the other line. Or who's on the other line. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Well, I, I broke your train of thought with the Dr. Flox uh, <laughs> interjection. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just seeing, I'm just reliving Enterprise in my head. So, And where's Porthos? Is Porthos okay? Do you have Porthos? <laughs> he can't still be alive, can he? I, I, I know, he can't not. be. No, I imagine not. There was a few of them, I think. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, I don't, I don't think there was. Yeah, he was. <laughs> We're uh, Manny. We're also gonna lo- we're launching an enterprise podcast now. And you're gonna come on it with us. And we're gonna- I will. I will. I will. I will. It's fun. 
<laughs> what I liked about that show so much was this concept that we clearly really don't belong out in space just yet, but we're going anyway. <laughs> yeah. It's the most human, it's the most human emotion you possibly can tap into. Yeah. The, I shouldn't do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. You know, cowboy yeah. up. It's, it's a space Western. It's. Well, I like the idea very much that, you know, that it was, it was really going out into the unknown. We don't know what's out there. It could be, it just, and there were some episodes that really were, were effective in the sense of, I, 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 that one where the ship kept showing up and kind of monitoring in them. And then it just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, the aliens came on and just like scanned them. And we, it really gave you a sense that we, we are not cut out for this place. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Silent uh, visitor or whatever it was. Anyway, it was one of the early ones, but it was very, very creepy. And I love that stuff. I was just talking to Tom, my son uh, about enterprise. Cause I watch it regularly. It's one of my nighttime Netflix shows. I watch. Mm-hmm. I was just telling him about the show and why I like it is because everything is new. You know, I watch a lot of Star Trek and in the 23rd, 24th century, there's already like the prime directive already exists. All these rules are already exist. Enterprise was, was you getting to see it done the first time, which I found so refreshing. It was such a, an interesting take on all these other Star Trek things that we know about. That was fun. It was a lot of fun. I missed that show. It was fun to work on. Also, there's a fantastic prequel in my head about the Zindi, uh, which I can't <laughs> uh-huh. believe no one has exploited. But I mean, the Zindi are fascinating. Come on, let's yeah, let's they do are. A prequel. Let's bring the avians back and let's go get like our, our Zindi prequel on. I don't know. That's a good idea. That that were that was a really cool idea on Brandon's part. So yeah, that's it's interesting. You mad? It never even occurred to me, but yeah, I can see it. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, especially I mean, they're they're all in on it now. CBS, if you're listening to this, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, thank you so much for uh, joining us tonight on the podcast and talking about the show. I hope we can have you back again as the season goes on. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me, and it's been a great pleasure. Thank you. A big thank you to Manny Cotto for spending uh, so much time with us and chatting about us with the, uh, chatting with us about the show. You can tell, I think, that he's super psyched about this topic. Uh, I think he, you know, he had some great stories about how he was inspired to create the show. Uh, it was just a fun interview. Is that he was actually a pretty down to earth guy. What did you think, Paul? Did you enjoy talking to Enterprise with him? <laughs> uh, definitely. You get to find out something special, something new that you didn't know about something that that you treasure after years of, of kind of thinking about it, it's in its place, but then you get something new and, and it's really nice. And that's, that's what we got with Manny today. Not, not just new stuff with next, but a little bit of enterprise goodness too. Before we say goodbye, I just want to have one quick conversation about Elon Musk only because he started his quote began the episode. It was an interesting discussion given how much Tesla and his other companies, Musk's other companies are involved in AI technology. And he has been an outspoken promoter of regulating AI out of fear for the exact thing that we're seeing play out in next. So I just want to read you a couple quotes and I want to get your, your take on if Elon Musk is telling us this and, and is using these words, should we actually be worried about super intelligence? The quote that began the episode with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon is an actual Elon Musk quote. It was from a 2014 talk he gave at the MIT aeronautics and astronautics Department Centennial Symposium, which is a mouthful in itself. The next sentence after that quote is, in all those stories where the guys with the pentagram and the holy water, it's like, yeah, he's sure he could control the demon? It didn't work out, though. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, and then fast forward, he's at South by Southwest. South by Southwest at the tech conference there in 2018. 
he says, the biggest issue I see with so-called AI experts is that they think they know more than they do and that they think they're smarter than they actually are. This tends to plague smart people. They define themselves by their intelligence and they don't like the idea that a machine could be way smarter than them. So they discount the idea, which is fundamentally flawed. In that same talk, he says, AI is much greater a danger than nuclear warheads by a lot. And nobody would suggest that we allow anyone to build nuclear warheads if they want. And mark my words, AI is far more dangerous than nukes. Far. So why do we have no regulatory oversight? This is insane. He's not talking about narrow AI, the way he calls it, you know, self-driving cars or narrow things like Alexa turning on the lights in your house. He's not talking about that. He's talking about working towards general computer intelligence. What we're talking about here, super, super intelligence or human level intelligence. It's fascinating that this guy is so worried about this. The point of all these talks is that these need to be regulated. And he says often, he's like, listen, I am not a regulation guy. I never want to be regulated. But this is an area where we need to be regulated, either on a national or an international level. AI research on the superintelligence level needs to be regulated because one day we're going to find ourselves out of control. Like we will be overtaken. Is that a real thing? Because he is decried. He has a lot of critics in the AI community. AI researchers do not like these comments. There were so many articles I looked up that people are like, he's full of shit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. But, you know, I kind of feel like he kind of does know what he's talking about. And I think people who are in AI research have a vested interest to call him a crazy fear monger. Like uh, Zuckerberg, uh, Facebook's Zuckerberg, called him a fear monger for these kinds of comments. Well, I'm more inclined to believe Elon Musk than Mark Zuckerberg. I don't know. Listening to that, Caroline, what's your take? Should we be more worried if someone like Elon Musk is telling us we should be worried? Yeah, absolutely. I think that he is an established, intelligent person who has a very good track record of thinking ahead, basically being innovative in the way that he is looking at the at the next steps in our world. And one of the things that made me pause was thinking about the idea of regulation and the reason why we can regulate things like nukes is because they require certain materials, certain materials that that in theory could be controlled, right? Because they're rare. Uranium. Yeah. I'm thinking I'm going back to the future with my plutonium. Plutonium. Yeah. Okay. But – but when it comes to coding and things like that, I don't know that you can put the genie back in the bottle. I mean, you're teaching children how to code. I, no. I don't know yeah. that there's certain materials that are so rare that that a person who is driven to do this and had the intelligence to do it couldn't create whatever they wanted beyond anything that could be regulated. So right. as much as I agree that I think it would be a great idea, I think it's the demon that you summon. Like, I don't know that you can like it it would be like him saying we should we should regulate demons like how are you gonna regulate the demon you know like because we can't stop a kid with a ouija board if it's the good demons and the bad demons yeah i mean if it's like that a ouija board's available in every store and so is a commuter and so are coding classes and you know how do you how do you stop it so i think it's a good point i think that it's probably too late the show does a good job, especially at the end of the Pandora's box imagery that they're using. It's, you know, it wasn't lost to me that they referred to it being trapped in a box, trapped in a box. Oh, it's not, it's not trapped in a box it's anymore. Out it's box. out of the box. Yeah. That's, yeah. A, you know, the, the, the Pandora's box, you know, is a very present here. What do you think, Paul? Is, is it, is it too late for us already? I think Caroline's point about the availability of materials and all that is probably dead on. 
in that even with that worldwide, we still struggle to, to really feel like we know for sure who has what. Right. Nukes wise. Nukes wise. Right. 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 And and so, that we can see with hopefully satellite and stuff like that, right? Right, right. and, and so, it's often after someone has detonated it, like a right. test and we have like oh, seismograph. They have and, They've got the bomb. Yeah, well, we ha- we ha- and we have machines to to detect those those moments in time where right. you can't right. def- detect a guy with a Mountain Dew tapping away. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. But yeah, my point my point was yeah, even with all of the technology we have to detect those those kinds of weapons, it's only after they've been used in some capacity we're like, oh yeah, they've got one. We need to put that on the list now you know like we gotta watch those guys you know they've got the bomb the limitation may be hardware related i don't know how seriously these this kind of thing needs the big server room kind of resources to make it work i Mm kind of think that stuff is more cinematic than it is actually required in today's technology and it's just i just don't think it would be that complicated for and especially we're just thinking of guy in his basement right but corporations just like you know the zava Zava, situation where this was like a back room thing you know where we weren't really talking about that room that much you know, so those people would certainly have the access to the materials. Well, I mean, I, for fans of Next, uh, if you're if you enjoyed this first episode, I think definitely hold on to your butts because the <laughs> idea of who is looking into this technology and maybe trying to exploit it beyond the guy in the basement or companies like Zava may get addressed in future episodes. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think the show is gonna is talking about really timely things in 2020. Even if we can't do anything about it, we probably could all benefit from being a little bit more informed about it being so. aware i think that's a huge part be aware what ai and what machines around us that the, for the for all of the convenience what does that also bring into our lives we should just be aware and on that note this is caroline this is paul and this is mike thank you for listening to conversations with eliza the next podcast don't forget to subscribe rate and review five stars people uh all of our podcasts at apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts Thanks for on listening. Your, on your Alexa. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Now available on Amazon Music. <laughs> yes. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.